Good morning. Welcome to All People's Church. We're coming to you today from Flagstaff, Arizona. Our focus is discipleship, and the title of today's lesson is In Search of Discipleship, Part 3. It is my purpose today to search further into the scriptures to define discipleship. In today's lesson, we will learn how to determine if we are a disciple or just a convert. We will learn more about the three components of discipleship, and lastly, we will learn why making disciples is the most needful and important thing we can do for God's kingdom and also for ourselves. Our theme is, as it has been during this three-part lesson, be a disciple, make a disciple. The primary I today is a question. Am I a disciple or a convert? And the golden meditation verse is found in John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. When we meditate on this scripture this week, let us ask ourselves, are we bearing much fruit? Let's maintain and repair our shield of faith and sharpen our sword of the Spirit with a more thorough knowledge of the Word of God as we begin by listening as members of All People's Church read today's text, John 15, verses 9. Through 27. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no more than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than this than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. But he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled in which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness 
because you have been with me from the beginning. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let us proceed back up to verse 9. Denise, would you read verses 9 and 10? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The question then becomes, how do we abide in the love of Jesus? And is perfectly stated in these two verses by keeping his commandments. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is important, guys. Jesus wants us to have real joy. Joy that transcends the difficulties of life. He wants us to have overflowing joy that stays with us throughout our life. In short, a joy that remains. We will talk more about this joy later. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This commandment must be near the top of all of Jesus' commandments. If we love like him, I contend all aspects of our relationships with others begin to fall into proper order. If you want to have a touch of heaven on earth, learn to love others like Jesus loves you. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is one of Jesus' most beautiful sayings and one that he fulfilled completely and heroically. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The proof of our relationship with Jesus is seen by our actions and not just our words. Do we keep his commandments? In this verse, put the emphasis on if you do. Verses 15 and 16. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I want to key in on the middle of verse 16. This is an expression of his expectation for the disciples and by extension for us. He makes it perfectly clear that he expects us to bear fruit. As a consequence of our work, he promises us answers to our prayers asked in his name. The things that pertain to us today from this lesson make the difference between heaven and hell for others makes the difference between the fruitfulness of our life, the effectiveness of our life, and it also makes a difference in whether or not we have true joy in our Christianity. One of the things that I see in the, the Christian church today is that there's not much joy. And I see a lot of other things going on, and I think it's because the church as a whole is not focused on the commandments of Christ. And so today, I want to reemphasize what my purpose is in these lessons. I want to search further into the scriptures to define discipleship. That's the reason that we're going through this chapter. I know that there's only a few things that pertain to the lesson itself that is at the end of this teaching on John 15. We've got really important stuff to talk about when we get done with these scriptures. 
But we need to be able to determine if we are a disciple or a convert or neither. We will learn more about the three components of discipleship. That's incredibly important. And lastly, we will learn why making disciples is the most needful and important thing we can do for God's kingdom and for ourselves. So we're going to continue with verse 17 now. Denise, would you read it? These things I command you that you love one another. When Jesus repeats something, it is time for us to sit up and take note, as in this verse and in verse 12. We must love one another. We must refuse to allow anything to separate us. We must communicate with each other. That's one of the things I try to do, if not on a weekly, at least on a bi-weekly time frame with the men of the church. And it's incredibly important that we keep the lines of communication open. We must work out our issues. There are always issues. We're people, just like any others. There are always issues. We must care for and support each other. That's our job as the body of Christ. We must care for each other. We must forgive each other our trespasses and have patience. We must value and pray for each other. Finally, as a result of our love, we must be one. Verse 18, 19, and 20. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus wants the disciples to be prepared for the life they will encounter without him. He is forewarning them. He is giving them the knowledge they need to succeed. 21 and 22. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. This idea of no excuse for their sin is also found in John 9, 41, where Jesus says to the Pharisees that if they had remained spiritually blind, they would have, they would have no sin. But since he proved his message by signs and wonders in their sight, they were now responsible and accountable for that knowledge. Verses 23 and 24. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. I believe this sin he is referring to is the sin of hatred of him as a result of the powerful miracles he did in the sight of the religious establishment. I believe this also applies to the people of the world of this present age. Their sin of rebellion against God is complete. They reject Christ because they want to be their own God. When they stand before the judgment seat at the end of time, there will be no acceptable excuse for their rebellion. Verses 25 through 27. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have seen, excuse me, you've been with me from the beginning. This concludes our study of John, the 15th chapter. Now I want to ask a very important question. Are we disciples or mere converts? And how can we know? Let's examine the three components of discipleship and see how we stack up. Number one, knowledge. We should be able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the prophesied Christ. We're talking about knowledge now. Attaining knowledge is largely a matter of desire and discipline. Although the body of scriptural knowledge available to us just in the biographies of Christ is large. Just in the biographies of Christ, there's a lot to know. It is certainly, however, comprehensible to the persistent Christian. You won't master it in a day or even in a year, but to the patient and determined person over time, the Scripture's truths can be known and understood. Number two, belief or faith in action. We should be able to explain how we came to the knowledge of our sins and separation from God and how we came to be reconciled to God by faith in Christ Jesus. I want to say that again. Belief or faith in action. We should be able to explain how we came to the knowledge of our sins and separation from God and how we came to be reconciled to God by faith in Christ Jesus. We should be able to explain salvation by faith from the scriptures and testify to the result of salvation by explaining our changed life. That is, if we are converted. It is possible for a person to come to faith in Jesus without much knowledge. Are you hearing me now? It is possible for a person to come to faith in Jesus without much knowledge, but the truth is they may not last long. Just the sheer weight of the inequities and injustices of life can be the undoing of the baby that is the ignorant Christian. Added to life's unfairness is the continuous barrage of fleshly indulgence of the society at large and the continual questioning of the existence of God by popular media. Typical questions blasted at the new convert are similar to these. How can a loving God allow war, disease, and hunger? Have you ever heard that? How can a loving God send anyone to hell? And another currently popular question, how can a loving God count as sin something that I find enjoyable? You can understand how the weak faith of the poorly prepared and unschooled Christian can be easily swamped. On the other hand, the resolute and strong faith of the disciple is based on scriptural knowledge. Scriptural knowledge is the basis for the shield of faith that protects us and the sword that fights and wins our spiritual battles. There is no substitute. If we do not become knowledgeable, we have no shield or sword with which to defend ourselves. I want you to write down this scripture. Remember Matthew 4, 4, 6, and 7. In it, Jesus fought and defeated Satan with the word. Jesus said, It is written. And if we will 
pattern our lives after Jesus, which we're going to talk about also in a few minutes, we will fight Satan the way he fought Satan, which is with our knowledge of the Scriptures. If we would be a disciple, we must have strong belief or faith in action based on knowledge. We must be convinced of the sinfulness of humanity and the need of a Savior to bridge the gap between us and God. That's essential. We must be convinced. We must be able to prove from the Scriptures that the Savior was the prophesied Christ and attest that Jesus' redeeming death and resurrection is reflected in the life that we live. If we would be a disciple, we must have strong belief, and it must be based on knowledge. So if I could repeat the question I asked earlier in point two, is our belief based on hearsay, or can we prove that our faith is based on the fact of Scripture? What I'm getting at today is trying to determine if we are disciples or mere converts. Number three is action. Based on our determination that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God, we must believe in Him and pattern our life after Him. I'm going to repeat a few things that you heard previously in part two, I think, of this series of lessons. Jesus practiced prayer. The disciples learned to pray by observing Jesus. And Jesus prayed a lot alone, but he also prayed before the disciples as the need arose and as he thought necessary. I'm asking you, are you a disciple? If you are a disciple, you must pattern your life after Christ. And these are things that Christ did that are very important to the life that he led here on this planet. Number one, he practiced prayer. Number two, he lived a holy life. He lived the commandments he preached. We too must keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments is how we demonstrate that we love him. Remember John 14, 15, 21, and 23. And the third thing about Jesus, he made disciples. As disciples, we must also make disciples as he commanded us. The question again is, have I patterned my life after Christ? These are questions to help us to determine if we're disciples or mere converts. Conclusion. And this is a long conclusion today. I know it seems like we're getting done early, but we're not. So if you can hang in there, keep your pencils sharp. There's more to be said here. That's really the way that I want to bring this series of lessons to a conclusion or to an end is with a great conclusion. Making disciples was the last thing Jesus commanded us to do. As he was leaving planet Earth, he could have said, Heal the sick! Or, Feed the hungry! Or, House and clothe the poor! But instead he said, Go and make disciples of all nations. The question must be asked, why? Making disciples is the most needful and important thing you can do for God's kingdom. Making disciples is the most needful and important thing you can do for God's kingdom. The reason is simply because the greatest good is achieved by making disciples. Everything gets better when disciples are on the scene. 
When spiritually mature disciples arrive on the scene, peace, unity, goodwill, and love all suddenly begin to overtake the problems and issues of the day. I'm trying to tell you that disciples are more valuable than mere converts. Additionally, all of the good works that Christianity is known for will continue and increase if the number of disciples increases. Becoming a disciple and making disciples is also the most important thing you can do for yourself. Why? I know you've got to be asking, well, why is that good for me? And I'll tell you, it forces you to grow. Number one, to make a disciple, you must walk a consistent path. No one is going to listen to or follow someone that keeps veering off the road into the ditch. If people do follow you into fleshly and sinful paths, they are going to suffer. They're going to get nicked and bruised, if not worse. Eventually, they're going to ask themselves, how is the life you're living any different than the life they left? Therefore, to make disciples, you must walk a consistent life. That's one of the ways that making disciples is going to benefit you. Number two, to make a disciple, you must lead by example. You cannot say one thing and do another. The inconsistency of doing so will kill your influence. The numerator, that is what you say, must equal the denominator, which is the way you live. There has to be an unity, a wholeness to the way you conduct your life. To make even one disciple, we have to tighten up. We have to put in consistent, focused effort. In short, we have to work. That's the tough, unvarnished truth. But the good news is that God wants us to succeed. All of the resources of heaven are arrayed to help us grow spiritually. And since he wants you to bear fruit, he will see to it that you are pruned and purged to achieve it and he will answer the prayers offered in the name of his holy son. There is more good news. Any convert can be a disciple. There is no glass ceiling, no preferred race or gender or age requirement. Disciple makers have come from every walk of life. They have been both rich and poor, slave and free. They have lived on every inhabited continent and have lived in every century for 2,000 years. They have lived in times of plenty and times of want, times of peace and times of war. Disciples can live in the 21st century and can look just like you and me. If we fulfill our divine task, we will bear much fruit for God's kingdom and enjoy a joy-filled life that no other endeavor, listen to me, no other endeavor of any kind can begin to approach the joy that we can know if we will make disciples. Today, I have given all of us the information necessary to answer the question, am I a disciple or just a convert? If you are a disciple, make other disciples. If you are not sure of your conversion, now is the time to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Can I say that again? If you are not sure of your conversion, 
Now is the time to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. If you are a convert and not a disciple, now is the time to start. We must be disciples, and we must make disciples. God's kingdom on this earth depends on us. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Our good works, nor any other trait, no matter how admirable, are sufficient or acceptable. Salvation is a free gift to all people through the grace of God alone. This gift of salvation was foretold in Isaiah 53, 6. It says concerning the Christ, the anointed one, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Salvation is a free gift to all people. No works are accepted as payment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes this exceedingly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20, 31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of Jesus was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. God alone designed it, foretold it, and carried it out. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one, which can be used as a guide. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. 
I believe you sent Jesus to suffer and die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Please give me strength as I submit to Jesus as my Lord and help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. You can also contact me, Brother Jerry, by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com concerning any questions you may have or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you this week.